The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Jesus and his disciples left from there and began a journey through Galilee. But he did not wish anyone to know about it. He was teaching his disciples and telling them, The Son of Man is to be handed over to men, and they will kill him. And three days after his death, the Son of Man will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to question him. They came to Capernaum, and once inside the house, he he began to ask them, What were you arguing about on the way? But they remained silent. They had been discussing among themselves on the way who was the greatest. Then he sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, If anyone wishes to be first, he shall be the last of all and the servant of all. Taking a child, he placed it in their midst, and putting his arms around it, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child as this in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but the one who sent me. The Gospel of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, it's good to be with you this morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Father Sean Kilcally. I'm the Family Life Office Director for the Diocese of Lincoln. And this weekend I'm subbing here at St. Cecilia's because Father Kaup's doing an engaged encounter retreat for me. Um, So it's a joy to be with you all. So as I was reflecting on the gospel reading today, this is one of those gospels that always gives me a lot of consolation because you know, I think there was a time in my life in the seminary and I remember reflecting on like, what would, have, what would it have been like? It would have been so much easier if Jesus was like right in front of me and I could see him and I could listen to him and I could touch him. And surely I wouldn't be such a bonehead if Jesus was right in front of me. And then I read Gospels like today and realize the disciples who had been following Jesus, listening to Jesus, they're able to touch him, they're able to see his face, they still don't quite get who he is. They still don't quite understand the things that he tells them and the significance of what he tells them, which is much like our own lives. We come to Mass every Sunday, we hear the scriptures read every Sunday, we say our prayers as a family, We might attend even some adult faith formation classes, but we still don't quite get what he's saying to us all the time. And so today our Lord, he separates his disciples out from the rest of the crowd, and he's kind of making this journey, and he's taking this opportunity to try to reveal to them a little bit more of who he is, telling them that 
The Son of Man is to be handed over to men and they will kill him. And then three days after his death, the Son of Man will rise. And immediately their, their conversation shifts to, well, if Jesus dies, which one of us is going to be in charge? Like, who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? And I kind of wonder, like, what the, that conversation sounded like. You know, Jesus probably said, well, or G- Peter probably said, well, Jesus told me that I'm going to be the rock on whom the church is built, so surely I'm the greatest and I'm going to be in charge. Then his brother Andrew might have said, well, you wouldn't even know Jesus if it wasn't for me, and half of you wouldn't know Jesus if it wasn't for me, because I'm the one who introduced you to Jesus, so really, I'm the source of all of your discipleship. You know, maybe Matthew, the tax collector, said something like, none of you are financially competent enough to run the church, so it's going to be me. Or perhaps that conversation about who was the greatest might have been a conversation about, you know, aren't we so privileged that we get to be here and like we're so much better than the crowds out there that didn't really get it? Do you remember all those people who left after the Bread of Life discourse and they said the saying's too hard and so they wandered off? Like, at least we're not like those people. Or maybe it was about the Samaritans and how all those stupid Samaritans, like they didn't, they have no chance at salvation because we're the chosen people. And that conversation that they might have had, it's very similar to the conversations that we have when we fall into the same kind of spiritual pride. The conversations that we have when we say things like, or we measure ourselves against the other families in church. You know, at least my kids aren't being disruptive during Mass, thank God. Or we're so much better than those people who just come on Christmas and Easter. I can't believe those people. In our own diocese, it's very common to sort of, you know, those bad CCD families. Father, that might hurt a little bit more. But we do, we can kind of say, well, our kids go to Catholic school and those bad families don't send their kids to Catholic school. You know, on the whole, sometimes we can have spiritual pride about being from the Diocese of Lincoln. And a lot of people I talk to, you know, they'll come to me and they'll be like, oh, Father, I was on vacation and you wouldn't believe what I saw in the liturgy and I, I'm so glad that we're like, that we have all the, the answers. And when we fall into that, we get too focused on kind of the external observances about our faith and comparing ourselves to other people when really we're supposed to be comparing ourselves to our Lord. The only one we're called to compare ourselves to is our Lord. And that's what our Lord's calling his disciples to do today. When he says that the Son of Man must go and die, and then on the third day he'll rise, he's revealing to them what they're also called to do. What they're also called to do. 
They're not called to be just a little bit better than the Samaritans or just a little bit better than the crowds or just a little bit better than those other people. They're called to be like our Lord. And that's what we're called to do as well, to be like our Lord. And when his own disciples are tempted to want to destroy those bad people, when they had passed through Samaria, some of his disciples said to him, when they were rejected by these towns, his disciples said, Lord, should we call down fire and brimstone on these towns and destroy them? And Jesus, in turn, rebukes them. And he constantly is reaching out and calling those people to conversion. Which is what we're supposed to do as well. To call those people to conversion. You know, in my apostolate that has grown into kind of a national apostolate, now I travel about half of the year I'm on the road and I'm going to other dioceses to do clergy formations or men's conferences or formation for school teachers. And, um, and so I spend a lot of time in other dioceses and, and I've sort of grown in my own maturity, I hope my maturity, in the way of comparison. You know, I once was attending Mass at a parish in another diocese and and liturgically it was it was not the same as we do things liturgically and there are some things I don't agree with you know and of course they had like tv screens and the song verses and sometimes they changed the words of the liturgy to not include masculine pronouns and and in that moment I was just really moved with compassion for the priest who was there because I realized that there's a part of his heart that still hasn't been touched by our Lord. And I just got this sense of his own loneliness and his own isolation and just a lack of joy in his life. And I found myself just praying for him frequently in the years following that. And isn't that what our Lord is calling us to do when we find ourselves in that place of comparison? Or we find ourselves falling into that kind of spiritual pride to, to just see somebody's loneliness or their pain or their suffering and you know, what's going on in their life that they found themselves in this place. And when currently in in the church in the United States and even in our own diocese we're discovering that, that there's a lot of priests who are really hurting and they're really lonely and maybe like even though we have all these positive attributes and there's still part of our own heart that needs to be converted And it seems that our Lord is just calling us to a deeper conversion to Him. 
which is what he does with his disciples in the gospel. And he takes this child and he puts it in their midst and he says, whoever receives one such child as this receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. So Jesus compares himself to this child who is completely dependent, completely open. A child who's willing to say, I just need you right now. I just need you right now. A child who doesn't keep track of what he's better at than other people or whether he's going to measure up or anything like that, but a child who simply just says, I need to be loved right now. How much time in our own spiritual lives do we spend saying, I just need to be loved right now? You know, when we go to Eucharistic Adoration, when we come to Mass on Sunday and we receive the living God into our lives and into our bodies, do we recognize that in that moment we're just like that little child who's going to his mom and he just needs to be hugged right now or he just needs to be around her right now or just needs to be held right now? Do we recognize how much we're in need of our Lord's mercy? And that the only ambition that we really should have in our life is an ambition to learn what it means to surrender our hearts to him. To lay everything before him. To be able to just sit in his presence. And that's a really difficult movement in our spiritual lives because we're so used to trying to do enough in order to be loved or to be special or to be unique. I remember when I was in the seminary, we would go in to pray and I would walk into the chapel with all my books and sort of like, you're a good prayer if you have lots of books. So I would plan, like, okay, I'm going to pray the rosary. I'm going to do five chapters of scripture reading. I'm going to do all these novenas. I've got my saint book. And so I'd walk into chapel with all these books. And I'd compare myself to others. And I'd be like, that person didn't even bring any books. What are they doing? They're just sitting there. Loser. But as I reflect on that more, like, I don't know what that person's heart was. And they might have actually had a more intimate relationship because I was walking in there with all these like books and tasks and things I needed to check off my list. I wasn't going to like just say I need to be loved right now. You know, do you ever go to a friend's house for dinner and you show up with a bunch of books and you're like, I brought these in case I get bored. In case you're boring, I'm going to read. Have a date night with your spouse. I'm going to bring a book. I mean, sometimes if we're honest, like this thing becomes like a book that we look at when we're bored. Right? Our phone does. But we don't do that when we're in love. When we're in love, it's enough to just sit and stare into the face of the other person. A sign of true intimacy in a married couple is, I just want to be around you. 
I just need to look at you right now. And that's what our Lord asks of us. Is to just give him the time to look at us. To hold us. To allow him into every part of our lives, every part of our hearts. To decide that we're going to be like that little child who simply surrenders their life. And once we've surrendered our heart to him, then we start to be moved to do the things that we see him doing. The greatest saints in the church who did the most work for the church or the greatest good for the church, all of that good started with simply surrendering to the love of our Lord. And right now, that's what our Lord is inviting all of us to do. To go to him in our loneliness and in our sadness and our confusion. To go to him when our lives don't make sense. And just sort of give up and say, Jesus, I'm just here to let you do what you want to do in my life. And I'm willing to give up all of my ambitions, all of my human desires, all the places I compare myself to others, and just allow you to be the center of my life. And so today, let us pray that when we find ourselves in that temptation to jealousy or that temptation to comparison or that temptation to spiritual pride, that we remember these words of our Lord, that we remember that he's called us to be like little children. As we receive him in Holy Communion, that we remember that this is the living God that's entering into our life because he's chosen to give his life for us, because he loves us and he wants to transform us. And that we have the grace to allow ourselves to surrender to that love, grace, mercy, and transformation. It's then that we'll become a beacon of hope and a light that shines in the darkness of our culture.